it's a bit of an organic process, and uh, the process starts with a script. <laughs> Hello. In this episode of Strzelka Institute podcast, you will hear from Doug Olson, director and storyboard artist of Rick and Morty, who will tell you how cinematic design process goes from script to screen. I uh, hope you guys like cartoons, because uh, I've worked on a lot of them, largely as a storyboard artist, sometimes as a director. Um, as Liam mentioned, I'm currently storyboarding on Rick and Morty Season 4, so I can't talk about that, but I will be talking about Season 3 a little bit. These are some of the shows I've worked on. My first job, just a little quick backstory, I started off on a show called The Venture Brothers, which uh, I'm not sure if it airs here. I brought it up a few times, and people don't know what I'm talking about, but it's a really great kind of action satire. I actually came into it as a background artist. These are some of the backgrounds I worked on for it. It's kind of a throwback retro kind of show, a lot of vintage kind of electronics, weird villain layers, things like that. Very kind of stylish, which is a lot of fun. In animation, television animation, there's a lot of subdivision of labor. So as a background designer in this particular show, I would do entirely like a grayscale rendering of, of an environment, which would then be handed off to a paint team. And the paint team would then make it look beautiful and TV ready. These sets that you're designing for animation, they're sort of like stages. You have to be able to stage scenery in there. You have to have characters be able to enter and exit the screen. A lot of times these wide shots, not only do they service as like a map for other painters to kind of know what an environment is supposed to look like, if say it has to be illustrated from another angle, but you also want to get a lot of mileage out of this if say you want to shoot a wide shot, but then there's enough detail on that bar down here that if you zoomed in on it, you could have some folks sitting there. I really wanted to storyboard. The design team had openings at the time. The storyboard team did not. But while I was on the show, I sort of was bugging them to be like, hey, can you try me out on storyboards? And eventually they relented and let me give it a shot as a revisionist, which is the entry-level position in television as a storyboard artist, which uh, I have been doing ever since. That led to shows like uh, some other projects I worked on, Axe Cop which was created by a five-year-old. It's about a cop that fights crime with an axe. Major Laser, which some of you may be familiar with, the musical artist by Diplo. Uh, they had a very psychedelic music and action show that I, that I did a lot of storyboards and directed a few episodes for. Golan the Insatiable, this was a, a short-lived sitcom on Fox that uh, I actually directed a number of episodes for, kind of like a horror sitcom. Taught me a lot about what's possible, uh, what is humanly possible in terms of uh, res taking responsibility for how to handle a project. And that's all I can really say about that. But the guys that were uh, my co, uh, co the co-showrunners on, on Goal and the Insatiable were what ultimately led me to this show, which I think a lot of you guys are probably familiar with. If you don't already know, this is uh, Rick and Morty. It's about an alcoholic grandfather who drags his unwilling grandson on adventures across the multiverse. I think that sort of sums it up. Yeah, I've been a storyboard on, artist on it for the past two seasons. Before I get into it, I just want to share a quick example of what a storyboard artist kind of does. A uh, storyboard artist and animation, we basically create the roadmap of what the show is ultimately going to look like. We work in concert with the writers and do all the planning for, you know, how are the jokes going to land? How are characters going to enter and exit? What are they going to say? It's the quickest way to draft something. So we don't have to finish these drawings, which is great because I don't like finishing artwork. I'm far more interested in planning. I uh, was hired onto season three of Rick and Morty, and uh, the very first script I was handed was this thing called Pickle Rick. We had no idea what the hell that meant. It was a real you know, quite an episode. Uh, we, you know, the first time, the, the thing with working on a show like Rick and Morty is I no longer get to watch it. I have to read it, 
which is fun in its own way, but you don't really get to experience it the same way as, as when you kind of like watch it on first blush. But this was kind of, uh, you know, it was a leveling up for me to get onto Rick and Morty. I hadn't really worked on a show like that at that tier before. I was surrounded by a lot of talented people. A lot of really great artists work on that show. And the scene they ended up handing me on my very first day of Rick and Morty was the finale. Act three is usually what they call it. It's like the whole... Um, kind of culmination of the episode. And it was quite an intimidating assignment. Uh, to make it more dramatic, I had recently gotten shoulder surgery and my arm had to be in a brace <laughs> almost the entire time I was working on this, which kind of upped the stakes just a bit. So I was gonna originally put this later. What the rest of this talk is more or less gonna be about is uh, what I call the boss battle in Pickle Rick, which is Rick, versus a character named Jaguar, who's kind of like a gritty mercenary type. You know, I'm gonna talk a little bit about my process for how I solved this scene, because it was kind of my first big challenge on the show. I learned a lot doing it. The director on the episode, Anthony Chun, really helped out a lot, taught me a lot along the way. Watch this first, which is all of my storyboards for the finale, and then we'll rewind to how I kind of got to this point. That's roughly about eight weeks of work with um, a lot of assistance from Anthony Chun, my director, and Wes Archer, the supervising director, as well as the writers. Um, it's a bit of an organic process, and uh, the process starts with a script. <laughs> so storyboarding's hard. There's like, you gotta make something from nothing, and um, what I've found is a good part of the process is to just get something to watch right away. Because there's literally all you have is a script. If you're lucky, a little bit of audio. That particular sequence that you were watching, not a lot of audio. It's just some gunshots. It's kind of hard to play with that stuff. So I'm just going to read you guys quickly the text that kind of birthed that scene. So it's interior foreign embassy, office, bullpen, day. Jaguar dives and rolls across a span of cubicles, dodging Pickle Rick's laser. Plaster flies everywhere. Office furniture is being sliced to pieces. A long fluorescent light fixture dangles off the ceiling. Both men are equally battered. Pickle Rick pops a smoking battery out of his pack and is about to reload when hail of bullets rains down on him. Pickle Rick runs for cover, swinging and dodging bullets, parkouring off office furniture. Rick fires back his laser as Jaguar leaps across the office, avoiding the beam. Jaguar returns fire, catching Rick in the side, taking a chunk out of the rat suit, going so deep that it's sliced all the way down to pickle flesh. Pickle Rick screams in pain. Ah, oh, come on! He loads in a new battery as he scurries along a work counter while Jaguar keeps shooting at him. As he hits the, floor, uh, hits the end of a counter, his laser has powered up enough for him to turn to shoot the laser Jaguar. Jaguar dives, but the laser hits his shoulder, slicing open a big wound. Pickle Rick takes a moment to hide in a cubicle, finally catching his breath. He checks his wound, it's bad. Brine is leaking everywhere. On the other side of the bullpen, hiding behind a desk, Jaguar checks his own wound. His shoulder is torn open. So that's actually pretty descriptive. That's a lot more descriptive than we would normally get in a script. It's a lot to work with, but it's kind of hard to, you know, figure out what is that going to look like when you don't have anything yet to make. What they do give you is a set. If you're lucky, if the design team is on schedule, they'll throw a set at you. But, you know, you got to really invent a lot of, like, what's this going to look like in a space like this. We also, of course, get character designs. Just sharing these for fun, these are some early Pickle Rick designs that the concept artists were working on. He's made this suit out of rat parts, 
and roaches, and there were about probably 25 or 30 different designs. Every, all the character designers got a chance to kind of work on them. But eventually, I think they really wanted to emphasize the pickleness. That was kind of uh, like getting close. We got pretty close at this point. The character designers really do an amazing job on this show, so shout out to you guys. But eventually, you know, they kind of locked it down to something like this, which is what we would get as storyboard artists. You know, we get some background art, we get some character art, we got some art for our villain, just to see what he kind of looks like. And uh, the process begins. Very sketchy in the beginning. We kind of call these spaghetti drawings where it's just like barely readable. It's readable to you, the storyboard artists, where you just kind of, as you're reading these scripts, you can kind of start to thumbnail in the margins of the scripts. That's a very common thing that you see. And um, you just start to kind of find those moments, those kind of crux moments, where characters are going to be, where characters are going to stand, what are the shots going to look like. Some of those get illustrated a bit more. Some of them may last until the end of the episode. Uh, some of them might make it till the final cut, like this shot in the bottom was kind of conceived of kind of early. You know, the idea of like using like wires, almost like their jungle or cover or something like that. Whereas where are the characters going to start? I originally started Rick in a cabinet, Jaguar just kind of jumping around. I was really into this laser cannon. I wanted that laser to feel huge and threatening, so I had this shot of, of Jaguar just avoiding it. And these things kind of like, you know, emerge as you run along. Like I said before, you really want to get to something as quickly as possible to watch. So the very, very first pass I took at this scene, and then I'm going to talk a bit about how it was improved. So does the job, kind of shows all the beats. It's all kind of there, sort of. Not very exciting, but you know, it's something to watch because it sort of sets up some geography for you to work with and uh, kind of presents, all right, opportunities for improvement. Like, where are they? So watching the initial thought, like a very thing that occurred to me kind of early on is this, this whole thing, in, in a way, it's kind of a giant battle. Like, Pickle Rick's kind of battling a giant here, like to him. So why not take advantage of that? Another thing that occurred to me was that, you know, you want to sort of put your protagonist kind of on the back foot in a lot of scenes like this so that they have somewhere to go. And I think having that laser be so intimidating, it almost made Rick from the start seem like a strong character. But you, you want him to be scared. You want to kind of raise the stakes a bit for him. So with that in mind, I started kind of coming up with more shots for like, okay, what can I do to kind of make Rick feel like he's on the run? Like, you know, you want him to almost not be making it. Like, he may lose this battle. Like, this might be a formidable adversary, which... It's pretty important, especially in the, the kind of climactic fight. That's important structurally to the tone of the piece. At a certain point, I had this idea to move Rick inside of a plant, like an office plant, because it served two functions of kind of like, wow, from a wide view, why the heck is there a laser coming out of a plant? And uh, also, if you cut in close, it was almost like Rick as Rambo kind of hiding in the jungle, sort of heightening the game that he's playing with himself. Like, this whole thing is a game to Rick, right? And uh, there were a few devices I kind of like stumbled into, half kind of researched. At the time, I was sort of, like I had mentioned, a little overwhelmed by this assignment and looking for ways, anyways. I was just studying other storyboard artists, studying other directors. And uh, one thing I came across is, uh, you know, screen direction, which is a pretty basic rule of storyboarding. Shout out to Wes Archer, who did some of these drawings that I just borrowed from him. He's our supervising director at Rick and Morty. Quick depiction of the 180 rule, which if you guys don't know, when two characters are facing each other, you want to keep the camera on one side of them. Because especially in animation, if you go on the other side, suddenly things get lost. And because you're working in a fictional space, it's very easy to kind of like suddenly get, lose that kind of thing. So 
If characters are facing each other, you want to keep them facing each other. This is a page from a book called Storyboarding the Simpsons Way by Brad Bird. It's actually a PDF. You can download it on the internet. I recommend doing it if anyone's seriously interested in storyboarding. The Simpsons kind of like created the Bible, a lot of the groundwork for sitcom television. A basic rule that they kind of like emphasize here is an easy way to remember this. If a character is facing in one direction in one shot, keep them facing that way in every shot, unless you turn them. What started to happen with Rick being in the plant is I realized we could maybe have Jaguar kind of switching screen direction to maybe almost feel like he's encircling Rick, like he's kind of getting up and getting closer to Rick. I think uh, I had mentioned him wanting to be play with Jaguar as a bit more of a giant. So top of the scene, Jaguar is to the left of the screen. Rick's trying to fire at him. Suddenly he's behind him, if you uh, follow this down to the bottom. And now he's on the right, and it's making Rick feel a bit surrounded. And that continues, that trend. Suddenly, you know, Jaguar sneaks up behind him, and he's on the other side again. It almost, you know, uh, and suddenly Jaguar is right in Rick's face, up in the threat significantly. Like, suddenly Jaguar is something to be feared. Another thing that I kind of uncovered around this time was something that I, I call the slash rule. And this really comes in handy when you're doing any kind of, like, dynamic storyboards, uh, any kind of action sequence. Quick example from Batman the Animated Series, if anyone's familiar with it, that really shows it well. A lot of these shots, the base Basically what the slash rule is, you can have, there's a general thrust to a lot of these actions to any shot. And that thrust is either a vertical thrust, a, a vertical thrust, a horizontal thrust, a diagonal thrust, or the opposite diagonal thrust. The rule is that you never want to have two of those in a row. So you can see in this Batman sequence, you got these shots separated by um, gray boxes. You have a slash, you have a horizontal slash, another diagonal slash, the opposite diagonal slash, opposite again, opposite again flat. But if you looked at my very first scene, it's almost all horizontal. <laughs> it's just like, wow, boring, you know, not really taking any kind of like dynamic opportunities into account. So as this new shot, as this new version was coming together, I really kind of made an effort to figure out ways to kind of incorporate that logic. And another basic storytelling method, I call it the hero's ladder, I think technically is called the Fichtean curve. I'm sure a lot of you have seen three-act structure charts for how a story goes, it starts here, it comes up to a climax, and then falls to back down. That is echoed in these smaller scenes. You want to repeat that as a way to kind of move a story forward, because the bigger story has an arc like that, but also each individual scene has its own arc, because that's the reason you're watching the scene, it's the reason you're watching the story. You want, you want that information to kind of peak at a certain point. And um, the reason it's called a ladder, or sometimes a staircase, is as the character is trying to reach a character or a protagonist, can be facing a crisis, win that crisis, and then face another crisis and lose. And then that method repeats itself and the drama kind of picks up at each step until ultimately you have a victory or a defeat or in this, the case of this episode, a stalemate. For example, Rick is in hiding. Jaguar sneaks up on him, Rick escapes. Rick successfully escapes. He's in hiding again. Jaguar sneaks up on him once again. Rick fires back, and it's just these kind of building blocks of a story, which in the beginning, in that very first draft, it's just kind of like, sort of flat, characters are firing at each other, nothing really happens, but if you create a bit more of a cause and effect, it sort of unconsciously tells a story as you're watching these scenes, and, and it's kind of like what I call the hidden language of a storyboard, because you're creating these events to sort of like, A, propel the drama, B, propel the narrative. It doesn't have to all be shooting, though. Anthony Chun, my director, had this really great idea to, um, you know, this, this is a comedy after all. <laughs> Let's give 
Jaguar some life, the villain, and, and he uh, had this idea to turn it from a shootout to something a bit more acrobatic where Jaguar does a split and continues firing and uh, Rick begins doing his own parkour and firing and ultimately this is when he gets hit. So it goes from a gun battle to a bit of a show-off acrobat battle. And I thought this was really fun. I really wanted to continue to play with it, but at a certain point, you know, you gotta finish these things. It's like, ah, enough is enough. So this, I'm kind of speeding through what ultimately was a lot of kind of trial and error. There's, as I was digging up the files for this, there's probably about 20 drafts of this scene that has evolved and went in a few different directions until it ultimately landed on this. So shout out to the writers and everyone else that worked on this show. I feel like everyone's like, you did it. It's a team effort. That's pretty much wraps it up. So thank you guys very much for having me. This lecture was organized in 2019 with support from the U.S. Embassy in Moscow as part of Strzelka's annual conference called In Other Worlds, which brings together directors, concept artists, animators, costume designers, and game designers. Now that's all for today, and see you in the next episode of the podcast. Stay tuned.